0: If you have a copy of God's word, uh, please join me in Revelation chapter 21. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there should be one really nearby in the seatbacks. I would love for you to follow along as we read. Today we're going to finish up our series and today we're going to be talking about restoration. Um, you may have, uh, if you've been here, you know that we've already covered several different topics. We talked about revelation, the fact that God speaks to us. That, that kind of undergirds that's the foundation to all of this. If God hadn't spoken, we wouldn't know about any of this. We wouldn't have any purpose or reason to be here. But because God speaks, we learned about creation, that God was the one that spoke the entire world into existence. We also know that really early on, man blew it. We sinned. We... We disobeyed God, we rebelled against Him and brought sin into the world. And last week we talk, talked about redemption, which really from Genesis 3 all the way through to the time of Christ, Scripture was building on, preparing us for, uh, everything was culminating in the coming of this, the Messiah. And so this week we get to talk about restoration, the end of all things, when God, so to speak, finishes the job and He restores and makes all things new. If you found Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. We'll read about John's vision regarding these things. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Some of you may have been into the show that was out a a few years ago, it had quite a long run, the show Extreme Home Makeover where they would show up, they'd they'd find a family that really was in need and and needed some, whether their house remodeled or an addition, and uh, something to benefit them. And then this team would come in, the family would have to move out, and this team would come in and just totally renovate the place. And my favorite part was seeing the family react in the end as they came back to their home and uh, they moved the bus away and they could see all the transformation that had taken place. And they would show the before and after pictures, and nothing looked the same. It was amazing to think it, that, was, that was the same building, that was the same house. Some of you maybe are involved in projects like that, where you, you restore and renovate things. Uh, uh, Tim Sharp, who sang up here um, moments ago and brought my chair for me, he uh, he, restored, he does body work on cars, and sometimes he'll get into restoration projects. And I've seen some of the before and after, where a you know, car comes in all beat up and torn up. And the, the work that he's able to do to bring that car, to, it almost looks, like, almost looks like new. Some of you maybe have gifts in, in those, in those kind of areas. I know I don't. But Scripture teaches us in Revelation chapter 21 that God is going to do the same thing. That he is going to, in a, in a far greater and more amazing and miraculous way, he is going to restore all that, all that is broken, all that is hurting, all that is beat up in this world. He says, behold, I come to make all things new. He's coming to restore all things. And that's what Revelation 21 talks about. And that's what I'd like us to reflect on this morning If you have your notes, we're going to look at a a few different aspects of this. First of all, we see the restored earth. The restored earth. the, The first thing that God's going to do is restore creation, renew creation. John says in verses 1 and 2, "...I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven." out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This entire passage of Revelation is chalked full of imagery that comes straight from the prophet Isaiah. This is the realization of prophecies that he made hundreds and hundreds of years prior to John's vision. What we need to know about this, though, is that God is going to make this earth new. He's going to restore that which was broken. There are other scriptures that indicate that that it's going to be a restoring not a he's not going to nuke the earth and completely start from scratch but he's going to bring forth newness out of the death that was here think about the resurrection so sort of, uh, as as one example when we get to heaven we're going to have glorified bodies there's got to be some amen's out there for that one <laughs> we're going to have glorified bodies we're going to have new bodies no more brokenness, no more aches and pains and Advil and all that kind of stuff. We're going to have new bodies. But when we get to heaven, I believe Scripture teaches that we're still going to be us. God is not going to destroy Jeremiah and make a whole new person. No, we're going we're gonna to recognize each other. We're going to know each other. Why? Because we're still us. We're just going to have a, a new resurrected body. Jesus was recognizable after the after the resurrection, because he was still Jesus. He wasn't a a new person, although he had a glorified, resurrected body. Well, I think that there's enough passages of Scripture that teach us that the same thing is going to be true of the earth. Uh, Acts chapter 3.21 talks about him restoring all things. That God is going to restore the creation that he has made. He's going to renew. He's going to make everything better and and right all of the wrongs. Fix everything that was broken down as a result of the fall. All of the places that you love here on Earth, maybe. And we talked about this a while ago. Maybe it's um, in the woods in your tree stand. Maybe it's a, a beautiful waterfall. I mean, did you see pictures this week of Niagara Falls frozen over? I mean, it's just majestic and gorgeous. Uh, uh, maybe it's it's in the ocean or the mountains. As beautiful as those places all are, they're all tainted and affected by the fall. God is going to come and restore. And and how this is going to look, I don't know. I can't begin to fathom what, what beauty looks like that's not touched by the fall, but it's all going to be restored. It's all going to be made new. This is what our God is coming to do. He's coming to restore the earth. Also tells us, though, that we have a new realm A new realm. We have the restored earth. We also are going to have a new realm. This is what I mean by this. Read verse 3 with me. It says, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Our new realm is going to be in the very presence of God. The very presence of our Creator, chapter 22 verse four, says that we will see Him face to face. Now we experience God in the presence of God in, in a way right now. Maybe you have um, maybe this morning, even in worship, as you're, as you're singing praises to God. You say, I, I, could, I can sense the presence of God as I worship. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe there's a place, that, that, that favorite place of God's creation that you like to go to, where you just feel closer to God. Early morning hours out in the woods or on a fishing boat, you just, you just feel the presence of God in a unique way. Maybe there's a certain devotional or a, a book or a passage of Scripture that God takes you to where you just, you've just read it and you've felt the very presence and nearness of God. We get little glimpses of it now, but the Bible says that when all things are restored at the end of the age, we will be in the presence of God. He will dwell with us, and we will dwell with Him. There will be no more just glimpses. The presence of God will be a daily reality, but will never grow old. This has always been God's plan to dwell with his people. It started in the Garden of Eden, that perfect relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God, and they, they blew it when they turned their backs on him. And yet God still pursued that with a, with a tabernacle. Remember, he gave the Israelites instructions on how to build the tabernacle, and, and the, the purpose of that was for God's presence, for his glory to be there amongst his people. David expanded that vision. He wanted to build a, a house for God, and so Solomon uh, took that vision and built the temple for God. Again, God's dwelling place among His people. And even as as we think about God's church, His people, God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. We we see this partly right now, but fully, one day we will be in the presence of our God. One day we will be able to bow at his, His feet and worship. We will be able, as Revelation tells us, to enjoy we don't even need the sun because his glory will shine so brightly we see it now partially but one day we shall see it fully the writer john donne reflected on this thought he says i shall rise from the dead i shall see the son of god the son of glory and shine myself as the sunshine i shall be united to the ancient of days to god himself who had no morning who never began no man ever saw God and lived, and yet, listen to this, I shall not live till I see God, and when I shall see him, I will never die. That's the hope that we have to look forward to, the presence of God, the restoration of all things, a new realm. Thirdly, though, we're, we're going to enjoy the removal of suffering. We'll have the removal of suffering. I love verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Verse 4 tells us that mourning will now be gone. Mourning will be out the window. This is the idea of sorrow, grief, sadness. There'll be no more reason to mourn. Crying will be gone. This is a strong word that John uses here. It's an expression of a great outcry of grief or anxiety, a wailing, a crying out. Some of you know what it's like to run out of tears. Some of you know what it's like to cry out to God day and night. You know agony. You've known pain. You've known suffering. And and God says that He's going to remove all of it. It will be no more when we are in His presence. He says pain. This could be emotional pain or or physical pain. He's going to take that. It's not going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And, of course, death. Death will be no more. Because we have eternal life and He will remove all of the effects of sin, including death, especially death. The Bible tells us that these former things have passed away and all that brings us sorrow and grief here on earth, all that we worry and we fret about, all that burdens us down, It will be no more. And some of you look forward to this day. Some of you have imagined it. When your Savior will walk up to you and He will wipe your tears from your eye. The last tear that you will ever shed, He will wipe it away and it will be no more. No more regrets, no more hurts, no more pain, no more suffering. That is a reality that we look forward to, that we have hope in. Because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, he has defeated death. And he makes this a reality. The passage goes on to tell us, fourthly, that we have a realized hope. Verse 5 tells us, Verse 5 and 6, Behold, uh, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The work of Jesus has been accomplished. And when God restores all things, everything, all of the promises, will become a reality. All of the promises, all of the hopes that we have will be realized. All will be set right. All of our hopes will be made real. It says he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. This name reveals God as sovereign over all of history, from its very beginning to its very consummation. God will fulfill his word. And we're not the only ones looking forward to this. We're not the only ones holding out hope. I mentioned Romans 8 earlier. Uh, This is a great passage, Romans 8, 19 through 25. It tells us, "...for the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption." And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons. As sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? We hope for what we do not see. And we wait for it with patience. We're just longing and waiting and waiting and waiting. Have you ever, have you ever waited for something to come, an event? Maybe it was a a family gathering you were looking forward to. Maybe it was a birthday or a vacation, maybe Christmas. And you waited and waited and waited and the day finally arrived. and, And it was good. You had a lot of fun. But it seemed like it was over way too fast. Before you know it, the, the presents had all been opened, or the, you're on your return drive home from vacation, or, or even worse, like maybe ladies, you can resonate with this a little bit. You know, think about Thanksgiving or something. You know, you plan and you plan, you buy the groceries, you, you get everything out, you decorate, you, everything's just perfect, you spend hours on the meal, and then there like a tornado hits the table. And you have a, a turkey carcass and, and, and dirty linens and all of a sudden it's, it's over with. And you're like, all of that for, for just this? <laughs> it's worth it, right? But you, you, you're left with this kind of inkling like, is that it? That's, there's this longing like that's just, there's got to be something more. Uh, there's a, a well-known quote from C.S. Lewis and I think he, he puts it very, very well when he says if i find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy the only logical explanation is that i was made for another world i think that's he's got a good pulse on it because there's a lot in this life that give us inklings of heaven they give us inklings of what's beyond little tastes maybe it's it's a great meal maybe it's a great time with family a, a great vacation and, and we think, I wish I could hold on to this. I wish you go, I could bottle up this moment. I wish I could hold on to this feeling or this emotion or this experience just a little bit longer, but it, it slips through our fingers. It doesn't last. And we think, I wish it did. I, I wish it went on forever. And C.S. Lewis says that that should remind us that we were made for another world. That this world, with all of its glimpses and tastes of heaven, are, are just that. They're just tastes looking forward, pointing forward to that day when all will be made new. You see, sometimes we, I think we approach this and we, we misdiagnose the problem. We mistake those inklings as, well, we just don't have enough of what's here on earth. And so we, we think we want more money or we want more sex or alcohol or a bigger house or maybe a different spouse, a better education, a, a bigger TV, a hunting property, a a second home somewhere, warm. <laughs> we know instinctively deep down that there's, there's something missing. And, and we reach for what's closest, thinking that that's what's going to fulfill it. But in reality, what we really want, whether we realize it or not, is the person that we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made to live. God's presence in heaven. As you think about and have these thoughts, remember that you and I, we were made for more. God, Jesus said that he was going away to prepare a place for us. If, if ever you feel like a stranger here on earth, if ever you feel like you're wandering as a sojourner, the Bible says that you are, and that we were made for another world, another place the presence of God. And all of creation right now is groaning, is longing for this restoration, the making right of all things. Fifthly there, there's a a reward for conquerors. We see that in verses 7 and 8. A reward for conquerors. Some of your translations will say overcomers. Verse 7 says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son the idea of conquering or overcoming is a major theme in the book of revelation it's the word uh, nikao it's used 16 times in the book in fact it was a favorite word of john he was almost the only new testament author to use the word he used it frequently in his writings and he says to those who overcome to those who conquer you will have this heritage I will be your God and you will be my son. That's the reward, that's the result for being an overcomer. Is He says, I'm going to be your God and, and you're going to be my people. Now, I don't know what you but, about you, but this almost sounds like salvation by works. That if, if you're good enough, if you conquer, if you live an overcoming life, then, then you get me and I get you. That's the, that's the deal here. Well, we talked about that last week. That's simply not true. Ephesians 2 and so many other places in Scripture say that we're, we're not saved by works. We can't earn God's favor by what we do. But what I think this reflects and what he's saying here is that because God has done this work in you, because he has saved you, now you can go out and, and conquer, that is, persevere. Be faithful in what God has called you to do because the conqueror, Jesus Christ, has already conquered sin by his work, we can be conquerors in this life. We can be faithful to the end. We can run this race that he has assigned us. The scripture's full of sports metaphors. And this, is, this comes up right here. We persevere, that we keep on. And this is a work of both God and us. God doesn't say, hey, good luck. You guys figure this out, and I'll see you at the finish line. No, no, no. He runs the race with us. And so, like, if you, if you want to turn there, you can. It's just the, the book right before Revelation. It's just a, a teeny book called Jude, and it's just one chapter. And Jude, in his epistle, wrote two verses that I think help us sync this idea of God at work and me at work at the same time. Verse 21 in, in Jude there's a command there, and he says to do this. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to love. So I say, okay, Jude, I'm supposed to keep myself in the love of God. I have, I have something I have to do. I have to be faithful. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. But then just three verses later, listen to this. Verse 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling, and to present you blameless before His presence, uh, the presence of his glory with great joy. So, on one hand, I'm to keep myself in the love of God. On the other hand, God says that he is able to keep me. That echoes back to John 10 where Jesus says you're in the Father's hand and no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. These two work together. And if it's a bit confusing, then you're in good company. But he says... Keep yourself in the love of God because you are being kept by the power of God. So on one hand, we're being faithful, we're persevering, we're making every effort to be faithful, but on the other hand, you have God sovereignly keeping you and enabling you to be faithful. It's, it's, it's a pretty amazing uh, the way that God's work and our work works together. That we're not supposed to do it on our own, but we're not, we're not going to do it apart from effort. On our, on our part as well. There are just a few things I want to say by way of application as we close today. Because as we think about the restoration of all things, I don't know about you, but I get excited. I mean, I, I'm, even though I'm, my kids remind me that I'm getting old, I still don't feel like really, really old yet. And, and, and so as I, as, I, as I think about the end of life, there are times when it think, seems like it's way, way out there, just far away. But I also look at how quickly... Uh, these first 35 years have gone, and I think it only seems to be picking up steam. <laughs> it only seems to be going faster and faster. So on one hand, it seems far off, but on the other hand, it doesn't. And we're all at different stages of our life, and some of us spend more time thinking about, about the being in the presence of God than others. But there are a few things that I think that we can all take away from this. First of all is that God's in charge of the end. God is in charge of the end. Sometimes when we—if we get our theology from— the news channel, we're going to be hopelessly depressed because it looks like this world's out of control. It looks like terrorism's winning. It looks like the government doesn't have any clue what they're doing, which they may not, but uh, it looks like, uh, uh, you know, they talk, there's talk about global warming. There's talk about this or that disaster. And it's like, what in the world is going on here? But when we remember that God is sovereign and in charge and that he is the one that is bringing about the time, Jesus is going to come back when he's ready to come back. Jesus is going to come back and restore all things when he's ready to. He is the one that's in control of that. And I just want to remind you, in case you're discouraged today, thinking, what is going on in this world? What is going on in my life? Is God even in control? And I want to remind you that he is. And if this series uh, has done nothing, I hope that it's remind you that God has had a plan from the very foundations of the earth, and he is working that plan out to bring about your good and his glory. Secondly, I want to just challenge you to persevere. To persevere as we think about the end of all things in the new heavens and the new earth and being in the presence of God. Don't forget that you have a race to finish first. Don't forget that God has called you, and I don't know what to what, I, I can tell you some of these things that he's called you to. He's called you to produce the fruits of the Spirit. He's called you to live a holy life. He wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. There's some commands in Scripture, but then maybe God has placed a call in your individual life. Maybe there's a, way, a place you're supposed to be serving that you're not. Maybe there's a, a someone that you're supposed to be sharing with the, the gospel with that you're not. Maybe there's someone that you're supposed to be forgiving that you're not. And he is calling you to be faithful. Don't for, don't get so excited about the finish line that you forget that, that you still have Uh, some, some distance between you and the finish line yet. And God wants you to be faithful, to persevere in this race. And I've, I've reminded you of this several times over the, the course of the last year I've, I've been here, and I will continue to, because this is an important theme in Scripture, and we need to be always reminded to, to run our race well, to stay on track, to not get distracted. My kids, um, uh, and I were recently watching that movie Up, if you've ever seen that Disney Pixar movie Up. It's a cute, cute movie, and there's that dog in there that is just constantly, easily distracted. Squirrel! And he just takes off, and he's just, whatever he sees, he's, he's gone. And some of us get like that in our spiritual lives, where we, we see something shiny off in the distance. We're like, ooh, or we see something that looks like it'd be fun, and ooh. And we forget that God has called us to stay on track, to run the race that he's called us to. And we, we need to be careful, not to get distracted. Thirdly, this passage reminded me that eternal punishment is very real. Eternal punishment is very real. We read it at the beginning, but verse 8 says, "But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, these are people whose lives are characterized by these behaviors because they've never repented and and come to Christ." He says, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I want to remind you this morning that the Bible teaches that hell is a very real place. We shouldn't celebrate it. We shouldn't rejoice at all the people are going there because the Bible says that it was originally created for Satan and his fallen angels. It wasn't a place designed for God's, God's people, I mean, the, the people that God has created, but for those who, who rebel and choose not to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, this is a, a reality. And Jesus had more to say about hell than anybody in the Bible. These, are, these aren't just metaphors here. A lake of fire speaks of torment, punishment. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know how serious... How important it is that you turn to Him in repentance. You choose to put your faith and trust in Him. Because the Bible's very candid and blunt descriptions of hell are not simply superlatives. They're not simply to to scare kids or to scare us and, and cause us to, I don't know, fearful wants us to know that there are genuine, real consequences for rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. And then finally, I want to remind you, as we think about these things, that it's okay to dream of heaven. It's okay to sit back and imagine what it will be like. There, there's, there, there are Christians out there that are so want us to make sure that we're so focused on this life that we, we discard any thought of the next. Keep, keep your eye on the ball. And I, and I guess we need to in a sense. But if, 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 we, if it's not okay to meditate on these things, to think about these things, to rejoice in these things, I don't think God would have told us about these things. It's okay to long for your heavenly home. Because I think that can be a great motivation here on earth as we think about what God has laid up in store for us, as we think about the hope that awaits us, that can be a great encouragement to keep on keeping on, even when we feel discouraged, even when the burdens and the cares of this world weigh us down and our, our shoulders are sagging and we don't know what to do, knowing that one day God will make right all of the wrongs, that one day all of the pain and the hurt and the crying and the tears It will all be made right. What an encouragement and what a motivation. There was a hymn writer in the 1860s by the name of Ann Ross Cousin who I think captured this feeling well in one of the verses of her hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. She said this, The bride... Eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. One day we will see him face to face. And all the stuff and all the junk that weighs us down now will all fade. It will all vanish as we behold the Lamb of glory, our Savior's face. Let's pray. God, your word teaches us that you're someone who always keeps his promises, that you are a God of truth And this morning as we think about these glorious truths that one day you will restore all things and make all things right. God, it fills my heart with joy and with worship knowing that you are working out your sovereign plan and that one day, God, I will be able to be in your very presence free from the the sin that so easily besets me free from conflict and from pain and from suffering and from death and we and, we, and it's all all because of Jesus Christ father please encourage our hearts with these truths this morning May these truths cause us to persevere and to to run our race well. May these truths cause us to well up with worship as we think about the greatness of your work and the faithfulness of your promises. And may we be moved to share these precious truths with others so that those closest to us may experience the same hope, the same longing, the same joy, that we do as we reflect upon your word. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless.